0: NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com earnings right now. netsuite.com earnings.
1: I'm Stacy Marie Ishmel, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. And this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. It's Wednesday, July 27th. There's tension in crypto that I'm fascinated by. On the one hand, there's this prevailing belief in the necessity, indeed, the superiority of decentralization. On the other hand, there's reality. When things hit the fan, and they often do, folks tend to respond by seeking a bailout, by demanding someone, perhaps even a regulator, hold fraudsters accountable. And there's a tendency to consolidate around the strongest and biggest players in the market. But in an industry so prone to spectacular scams and expensive hacks, this tension is ever-present. And it's getting worse. Can you simultaneously reject all forms of centralized control, and then demand help from centralized authorities in times of trouble? For more on this, I'm joined today by Bloomberg reporter Emily Nicole. We're both in London. We're going to talk about democracy around a time that you know UK politics are going through some interesting, some interesting things in the small D democratic tradition. Uh, but today, we're really going to focus on the gap between the ideological tenets that underpin certain parts of crypto and how those things play out in reality. And specifically, you've written a lot for the Bloomberg Crypto Newsletter, to which everyone should subscribe, but you've written a lot for the Bloomberg Crypto Newsletter about the tension between the theory of decentralization and the reality of bailouts. You've written about the tension between the idea of code is law which is that if you are a developer and you write a smart contract and that smart contract has a bug in it, and as a result, you lose all your money, tough luck. Code is law. Can you talk more about, one, what's so interesting about this, and two, how it's playing out in this particular crypto winter?
2: The idea that code is law just automatically flies in the face of how we as humans live our lives and expect things to work. And that's kind of the inherent problem with crypto is that Code is kind of the primacy of everything. It's what you rely on. It's how we determine, you know, who owns what token, who sent what to where. Um, And unfortunately, then when it comes to kind of the rest of of the way that we would interact with money, um, relying on that code to... Be your source of truth or your oracle means that, you know, for example, if somebody was to hack a major play to earn crypto game for $600 million. Like
1: really actually happened in real
0: life. Hackers stole about $600 million from a blockchain network connected to the popular Axie Infinity online game. They targeted what is known as the Ronin bridge and drained Ether and USDC tokens in two transactions. The breach wasn't discovered for six days.
2: Who is to say whether that is stolen? Because all they did really in that particular instance was exploit a vulnerability in the network, which if you take code as the ultimate source of truth is perfectly fine and perfectly legal according to the code and transferred that crypto to themselves. So now according to the code, they own that crypto. It is rightfully theirs. They haven't stolen it from anybody. Um, That's obviously if you take everything to the extreme level. Um, and nobody in crypto probably wants to do that. But if we are moving towards a society where everything is based upon code and every the way that we interact with all of this stuff um, is kind of underpinned by that technology, th- that is the reality that a lot of authorities and legal players will face is how do you counteract what it says on the blockchain.
1: So before we get into why this is particularly challenging and what we are taking to call crypto winter, when we say code, what do we mean? I
2: always like to wonder what people picture when they think of blockchain, because we we get, you know, it's in the name, right? Blocks, <laughs> they're full of code, links. chain. It's, are you imagining like a room full of servers? Are you imagining an actual platform on which things can be built upon a bit like a Lego block system?
0: I think a blockchain, if it was real and physical, it would be sort of like a tapestry where, everyone has their own section and everyone can paint or add to their own section but at the end of the day it's for everyone to see and everyone can visualize what's happened or what changes have been made.
2: When I picture blockchain I think of lots and lots of chains linked to one another kind of like those paper chains we used to make when we were children but infinitely long.
1: Uh, when I think about blockchain I don't really visualize it as a, as a physical thing I more just consider it as some sort of computer program or innovation rather than something physical that you can look at or visualize
2: if you were to open it up on your computer it's a page full of rich text and, and lots of words and letters and figures that don't mean anything to you
1: unless you know that language
2: yes unless you know that language which very few of us do <laughs> um but obviously those are the things that actually run the way that we live our lives right even if we go beyond crypto if you think about the apps that you have on your phone or the way you get to work in the morning, a lot of stuff runs on code. Um, and so when we talk about code, that's what we're talking about. It's the, it's the parts of the technology systems that determine why things happen and when they happen.
1: It's the thing that refuses to set your Instagram feed to chronological order and Or keeps stop
2: s- showing you suggested posts at the moment. <laughs> from people that you <laughs> don't follow.
1: For some people, they want to put more of how we live now on the blockchain. And the practical implications of that are something like, you know, right. So I, I have a hyphenated first name. There are times when I'm trying to book a flight or do something. I'll get an error message. It's like, your name is not valid. And it fills me with rage. Uh, but it's also a reflection of the, the tyranny of a circumstance in which what is allowed is defined by a software engineer whose name is probably John. <laughs> <laughs> does not have a hyphenated first name or whose last name doesn't have more, you know, absolutely has more than two characters, for example. And you're like, OK, fine, that's frustrating. But if my identity were tied to a blockchain that also had inscribed in it that hyphens were not valid, like what, you know, what does that mean? And I think sometimes when we talk about crypto, even on the show, it can sound like these are purely financial considerations, or these are purely abstract things, or these are just markets. But what I'm hearing from you is there is a potential for some of these concepts to start to show up in so-called real life.
2: Yeah. So for example, if we think about non-fungible tokens and NFTs, right now, most of us know NFTs as digital artworks. It's a bored ape. It's a, you know, a pudgy penguin, um, something that can be easily dismissed as a gimmick. But the Hopes and dreams for NFTs in the crypto industry go far beyond that because the way that they'll make NFTs more relevant to the regular person on the street is to say, okay, you would normally sign 10 different pieces of paper to buy this house, but instead we're going to put it all on the blockchain and therefore that house will belong to you in a verifiable way that everybody can trace and in future that nft can get passed to the next owner and the next and there will always be a chain of of uh, a tra- traceable chain of ownership of that house um whether or not there will be authorities that recognize um that, that verifiable deed. ownership yes <laughs> is is i think one of the biggest questions at the moment around that that i think is actually one of the more interesting parts about uh code is law because at the moment it's not just about you know whether or not you and I agree to accept that the nft you have given me uh, that piece of code dictates that the ownership has transferred and if we think about what progress is being made to determine that there's some stuff going on in the UK at the moment with the law commission trying to look into the how um how blockchain can assist in terms of you know rights of ownership or de facto companies that spring up around crypto projects, how those can be respected as legal entities while Mm -hmm. not really being based anywhere at all. Um, And that's a bit of the headache.
1: Let's go back to the idea of Crypto Winter and what's happening now. We had, as you've said, you know, hacks, we've had scams, we've had frauds. And I would say in general, even the most like diehard, we believe in the sanctity of the software person, if they're at risk of losing $500 million, they're going to be like, excuse me, police. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or, you know, some investor, please, please come bail me out. And that that is absolutely one of the, the circumstances that we've seen. But we're also starting to see bankruptcies. We're also starting to see companies in distress. We're starting to see people worrying about the fact that they handed their tokens over to these, you know, entities or in some cases, these protocols having consequences that they weren't necessarily thinking about when all the prices were going up. What are you observing there in your in your reporting and your conversations with folks?
2: One thing that has popped up a lot from investors, especially online, is saying, you know, I was prepared for my cryptocurrency to go up or down in value. I was prepared to potentially lose all of the money that I've put in. What I was not prepared for was not being able to access my money because a lot of this The appeal of crypto is that it's decentralized, right? It's all on you. There's no middleman. There's no big brother telling you you can't do X, Y, and Z with your dollars. Um, But when crypto lenders suspend withdrawals and say, actually, we're really in trouble. So we can't handle giving you your money back right now. We're going to keep hold of it. And you have to just sit there and watch as the price of Bitcoin goes down and you can't cash out or do anything with it. that's that therein lies the rub like that's where people are starting to now feel very uncomfortable about the way the industry is going and actually shows that something that previously was thought to be decentralized is is pretty centralized in reality
1: we'll be right back with more from emily nicole
0: success is more than a destination it's a path you take one step at a time
1: This is where we get into an interesting nuance, which is you've got the coder's law element, but then you've also got not your keys, not your coins. Can you talk more about that? So
2: not your keys, not your coins is a phrase within the crypto industry that basically is exactly what I just described. It's that if you are not hosting your coins yourself in a cold wallet normally, but just something that is not stored within another entity's treasury, then you don't have control over those. And that's not something that everybody in crypto is aware of, particularly as we have like a massive retail investor market now. You probably didn't think, okay, well, if I buy some Bitcoin with XYZ exchange, Um, And I just like, you know, leave it in on that platform. That's not my Bitcoin.
1: It's so funny because when we talk about real life parallels, it's like when you buy a Kindle book from Amazon, they can actually take that book back at any time. Right. So we, we do have in tech, at least the idea of what you think of as ownership is really leasing. But I think a lot of people, to your point, didn't think that they were leasing their crypto yeah. <laughs> from these exchanges. It's
2: like if we if we think about the decentralization of social media, a lot of the appeal there, if you listen to any of the VCs investing in these projects, is that, OK, so you have a follower list in one place and you want to be able to take that follower list to another platform and it should automatically follow you if all these things are stored on blockchain, everything's interoperable, etc. And you know, we're used to thinking that way a little bit more in, in something like you just described with books or with music, like if or you have movies, a, yeah, if you have a Spotify account. You've spent years building up a library of playlists that are painstakingly curated, but you know that if you stop being a Spotify user, you can't take that with you. Mm-hmm. And that's what VC's are trying to change. That's what they. That's what they say they're trying to change. Yes, exactly. That's what they. That's what they think is the major appeal here, because that's a bugbear of all of us, right? Whether or not they can change that is another matter. And to be honest, it goes against most of the the usual ways that business work. If mm-hmm. if you were to allow people just to move things around and stop being a customer, if if they wanted to. Um, and so, but I think as you, as to your point, nobody thought that would be then the case for their cryptocurrencies as well. They right. didn't think that, you know, if I hold all my coins on Coinbase, I won't be able to take them to Kraken. Those are just two examples and neither of them have suspended withdrawals. But there are now a few players that have suspended access to tokens and people can't move them anywhere.
1: Do you think that this current crypto winter is going to encourage more people to go like self-host cold wallet? They're like, even though it's a pain, it's worth it. Or do you think people are just going to be like, none of this makes sense. I can't get my coins out if I put it on an exchange. The self-hosting thing is too annoying. I'm going to put my money in a savings account on a high street bank.
2: I'd be slightly more skeptical, I guess, in that present... Um, most of the players that have suspended withdrawals are still relatively niche within crypto as Mm -hmm. a whole. So the investors that would have been putting their money into platforms like Celsius or platforms like BlockFi, which also suspended withdrawals previously, um, they, they would have been kind of a little bit more aware, a little bit more... Um, discerning as to you know, how they might go about storing their crypto in future. But it, as it hasn't happened to a major crypto exchange yet, most people who buy crypto are going to think, well, that looks really sucky for them, but I- I'm doing okay and I'll take the risk. They may not even be paying attention to the statements that make it very clear that this exactly could happen to them on, on major exchanges if if the situation arose.
1: For the folks who have been burned by, as you rightly point out, the more esoteric parts of DeFi, are you, are you getting any sense that they're still true believers in the code is law idea? Like that sort of fundamentally, even though they're like, but I also want my money back. <laughs> the, the libertarian instinct to not be regulated, to not be told what to do, is that persisting?
2: I think it's definitely persisting, at least even, even if we look outside of DeFi, even if you look straight at the most mainstream part of crypto that is Bitcoin, you're still seeing people shout about how Bitcoin is the only monetary system that's going to work and not be you know, under the oversight of central banks and governments, the only thing that will give you true and free liberty in your monetary system. Um, and if you then think about DeFi, there are still players that are offering insanely high yields without really explaining where that yield is coming from. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, we don't yet have like real customer data on, you know, has there been demand drop-offs? has there been, you know, businesses having to wind down certain parts of their activities in different jurisdictions? But what we do know is that the the market is still struggling Um, and whether it'll recover. I think there has been a significant knock in confidence as to whether people will continue to buy the idea that... Fields can be magicked out of thin air, and if you put money in the box and say it is worth something, it'll it'll come out with even more worth on the other side. The box
1: is magic. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to have you on the pod. Thanks for having me. You can find more of Emily's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, on Bloomberg.com, and on Twitter. She's at Emily J Nicole. That's N-I-C-O-L-L-E. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, Earlier this year, the pop music duo known as the Chainsmokers released 5,000 non-fungible tokens for free. These NFTs gave fans a 1% cut of the streaming royalties from their latest album, as well as priority access to concert tickets and free merchandise. What are artists and musicians like the Chainsmokers hoping to achieve with these moves? And how are fans responding? Could the decentralization of the music industry actually be upon us? For more on these questions, I'll be joined by Bloomberg reporter Hannah Miller and by Justin Blau, CEO of Royal, a decentralized music startup. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, and this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Email your questions, comments, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. And you'll find us on Twitter at Crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergalina. Our producer is Mohammed Farooq. Our associate producers Ozanab Siddiqui and Moses Andam. Desta Wanderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidrin.